Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host today, uh, Travis Tyler, and uh, we have a great episode today. We've got three episodes we're doing in tandem together here, and we're looking at church culture, exploring it a little more deeply. Joining me here today, of course, is again Brent and Jacob, so welcome back, guys. Always good to be here. So let's let's kind of use and borrow heavily from Malfer's book today, and that is the book, Look Before You Leap. And in this book, he talks about church culture and kind of defining it. And we've already had a couple episodes on church culture, but let's see if we can dig a little deeper on the whole topic. And today, he, he in the book, he talks about in church culture in terms of an apple. If you cut an apple in half, you'll find three distinct parts to it, right? you got the skin, you got the meat of the apple, and you got the core. And so this episode, we're going to talk about what we do, the, the external, the outside. If you don't cut the apple away what is seen from the outside, and, you know, things that can be observed. I think the language that he uses is, you know, the skin is the behavior. And so we're going to ask the question today of how does the church behave, because how the church behaves is important to its identity of, of who it is, and you can go back and listen to the previous episodes where we've talked about types of churches and all that. So so let's kind of let's get into this identifying kind of the first layer and behavior. What are some things that we're gonna we're gonna look at here, and how should we think about church behavior as pastors and church leaders? Yeah, I think uh, since you're looking at behaviors, I mean you're gonna look at how people interact with each other, the way they talk with each other. You're gonna see you know, the style of worship, the style of preaching. You're just gonna see kind of on the outside, kind of the peripheral, just what people are saying, the general feeling, and that, that's kind of just the, the simple behaviors of what people do. Yeah. What percentage of, you know, understanding church culture would you say the behavior side of it is? I mean, would you say it is, you know, a lot, a significant amount, you know, that half of it, or a smaller amount, and truly understanding the, the full culture of the church? Well, I think, you know, I, I, my mind goes back to when we were when we were talking about Appalachia, and we talked about, you know, a lot of times in... In our area, what you see is what you get. And so I would say that for our context, it probably, it probably, it probably matters more than in some other contexts because I think, you know, people like who they are, you know, what you see now, what you see at first glance, if you will, is sort of what you're going to, what you're going to get. Not all the time, but, but maybe, maybe a little bit more significant in our context. Yeah, I could agree with that. I, I know one of the things I'm always thinking is why. Anytime we're doing certain things in the church or various meetings or, or different things is the why behind it. And, uh, you know, people will behave. They will do the things they do based on the why, based on whatever the, the core is. And so I think that behavior is helpful uh, because it can lead you in the right direction and trying to understand the, the culture of the church. But I think sometimes it could be deceptive, too. And so it's, you know, obviously you've got to get to the core, you know, the core values of why people are behaving and acting the way they are, but but it is helpful for sure. Yeah, and this is a first step to get towards the core. You, you have to observe. You know, when I think about why churches, every church behaves and has its 
behaviors and traditions, almost like people, right? They're, you know, my, my mentoring pastor would say churches are living organisms, so they have behavior patterns. And so, you know, when we're, when we're looking at the behavior of the church, what are some things we're looking at as pastors to try to better understand it, to understand the values and the core beliefs that are in that body? Yeah, I think one of the things I think about is kind of the general fellowship or the unity of the church. So, you know, how people are talking with each other, how they're interacting. Uh, is, it, is it a cold interaction? Or is there kind of a, a general sense of, you know, we're family, we are, you know, we are friends in Christ? You know, is, is the way they talk to each other, do they, when they get mad at each other, do they just lash out and just say their piece and leave? Or, or do they try to work through some things? I think just the way people interact with each other, I think, point a lot to, to what that core is. That's a really good point, particularly on conflict and how churches handle their conflict. There, there seems to be sometimes where a conflict or major event will happen, and I've, I've observed this in a lot of churches, and I don't know if it is. I assume this is some kind of learned behavior, either from previous churches or from an individual's lives, where a blow-up or a fight will happen, and then everybody just kind of wants to pretend like nothing happened. It's, yeah. it's very... Yeah. It's very strange to me. It is, yeah. Uh, but it, it seems to be a fairly common thing. I, I think it flows and stems from a misunderstanding of covering sin and forgiving one another. You know, I think people want to run to a covering first before they actually deal with sin. Because the Bible says you can cover sin, you just have to deal with it first. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, there's oftentimes I feel like uh, when there has been issues or conflict, there might be kind of an initial time where you're getting together to, to talk through some issues and see some res, you know, resolution. And uh, Oftentimes, it's we're talking through some things and we might spend time praying and people are like, oh, well, we're done. It's all worked out. And it's like, no, it, it, it's like like an apple or, or I'll say an onion here. Completely different. Many layers. Yeah, so many layers. <laughs> like an ogre. <laughs> like an ogre, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's... We've gone a little deeper than I meant to go here with behavior. Let's go back a little more shallow. Yeah. Uh, let's talk I, about... I, I can do shallow. Let's do shallow. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Shallow Thoughts. So anyway, um, so let's let's talk about facilities and what's observable with the facilities because we're talking about external behaviors. I read recently this week in one of Rainer's blogs that deferred maintenance on church buildings is becoming an increasing issue this in this year. And uh, what are we communicating to an outside community if we defer needed maintenance to our facilities? So this one's interesting because the Malfrish group actually came and did a, we're, we're talking about Alfred Malfrish's book um, a little bit with this, uh, with this picture of an apple, but uh, the Malfrish group actually came and did a training with the Avery Association. And, uh, and that's one of the things that, that we that we talked about, and and we actually hosted that at our church, and um, and they they did sort of a, a walk around uh, for us, just like they would a church that had contracted with them, uh, just for the purpose of the facilities. And you know the comment the comment that they made was, you know, when people pull in your parking lot and see that you, you don't care for the facilities, they're going to have, they're going to be forced to ask the question: Do they care for the people? <laughs> and yeah. So, um, you know, that was that was sort of eye opening. Yeah. Well, it, can I? I'm going to piggyback on that, and then right. you can jump in. But I had a family reunion with some of my family there, and 
they were talking about how they were going to find a church. Now, I wasn't real clear on the spiritual condition of one of my family members, so I'm going to say that I just don't know in the name of diplomacy where he was spiritually, okay? And here is what he told me, and my mouth dropped open when he said this, all right? So yeah, when I'm looking for a church, I look for a church that keeps its yard mowed and its its vegetation and plants trimmed up nice. And uh, I was like, oh, well, I didn't really have a comeback. I didn't, you know, I, <laughs> you you were at a loss for words. I, I was I was a slack jaw there. Yeah, it was so uh, so there is. I think there's a level of truth. Obviously, I think more seasoned believers are going to be checking other things out first. But for those that maybe we don't know where they are spiritually. Mr. Malfers may be correct. Yeah, I, I always like, Mark Clifton always talks about this at the North American Mission Board that uh, that uh, anytime he goes to a new church, he always kind of plays this game, kind of internally, but but the game is what year is it? Uh, when he walks into a sanctuary or walks into a building, like what, what, what year is it? Is it 1920? Is it 1960? Because it, it communicates something. By the way, I love the pictures he posts. That, I do, yeah. <laughs> they, they are pretty good. Yeah, They make me feel good. But like I watching think, that hoarder show, you're like, oh, it is true. makes me feel so much better about how I clean my house. Yeah, you know, there's people have the tendency to hoard onto things. Yeah. it's true. But, uh, but I think there's something to it. Like Brent said, it uh, it communicates something. It communicates that either one, you don't care for your people. It communicates that that you're not thinking about interacting with the world around you. That you're set in a certain time zone or, or time frame and not looking forward. And so, you know, I, I know Rainer has had a blog after blog about the first two minutes of people show up at your facility to gather for worship is uh, the way that they interact with people, the facilities, even down to, to a website. Those things communicate something about you. And it's true. It does. Let's, uh, let's take it to the next level on church campus here. I think Rainer has pointed out people do make decisions within two minutes of being on your church campus if they're going to start to stay, which means that's going to include pulling into the parking lot. And I know this probably sounds silly to have a conversation about parking lots, but we're going to go ahead and have it here. Uh, the importance of having a decent parking lot. I don't know that it can be overstated because let's, let's just pretend that you're a person that's never been to the church before. If you pull in and you have to park miles away, what does that communicate? Well... You know, or if it's inadequate parking, mm-hmm. or if the parking lot's you know full, real full or in bad shape, yeah. what do you communicate? Yeah, you know, I know, I know. Rainer oftentimes talks about uh, you know if the parking lot is full, sometimes it can communicate there's not a place for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I've heard people, you know, even at Calvary, because you know, we don't have tons of parking on our facility, but uh, but the school across the street allows us to use their parking, and we allow them to use our parking for the week, and so. Um, so we have a lot of people park over there, and I don't know how many times we have you know, guests or visitors that will come in, and they'll talk about, man, there's you guys are always full. The parking's always full. And they don't realize that the parking doesn't actually meet the, the amount of people for the, inside the sanctuary. We had to have people parking across the street. But, That's a fun trick to do at Calvary. And so a lot of times people are always talking about, man, this you know you, you guys must always be full because that parking lot's always plumb full. And so it can communicate a lot of different things. But I think the, when the parking lot is in rough shape, it clearly communicates that uh, that they're they're not taking care of facilities, which means either one, nothing's happening, right? Or they're not caring for the needs of people, or they're not in this this time frame, right? 
Yeah, and coming from a construction background, and if I ever end up doing, you know, more church consulting in the future, I'm going to tell churches, look, you need to make sure you have the proper correlation between Sunday morning seating and parking lot space out front. Because I've pastored two churches now that have not had those right in proportion. So one church I've pastored in another state, they had an astronomical amount of parking and limited seating when you went in. So like everybody parked in the back of the church and the front lots were completely open on Sunday morning. And the same in the sanctuary too, right? Yeah, and so, (laughs) right. So like... So nobody wanted to park in the front. So when people drove by on Sunday morning and looked over at the parking lot, it looked like we were closed down, you know. And uh, and then we have, at Grace, we have a similar issue. All the parking is in the back. But they only built about, the parking lot can only support 60% capacity of the sanctuary. So they built the sanctuary too big for the parking lot. So the church has never been able to get past 60% on Sunday morning. So, anyway. Well, you know, previous church I served at, the parking lot was in, it was in disarray. And uh, we had a, a facility plan, right? And, and I know some people work towards this. I know we're having this conversation now at, at Calvary as a facility plan for the next three to five years. But previous church, we had a facility plan that we worked towards. And while we did some things internally inside the facilities, we also worked on outside, which was... One of the first things was our parking lot was was a mess. I mean, it was there was no there was there wasn't even any lines. The the asphalt itself was rough. It was almost turning into gravel again. It was right. that rough, and uh, and so we had to go through a process of restriping and, and making sure we had adequate parking and even clear signs for for visitors and making sure that there was signage entering into the sanctuary and other places for visitors to park at, along with when they went inside, clear signage of where things went, because that's. I don't know what it is, but that's one thing that drives me crazy, walking into a church and, you know, it's just this assumed thought that everybody knows where they're going and any visitor doesn't, you know. That's a, that's a good point. This is a good segue. Let's talk about church signage for just a minute since we're keeping it shallow this morning. But, uh, you know, these are simple things that we think, well, it's going to be fine. But, uh, you know, what? Who is church signage for? Let's start with that question. Why do you even bother with church signage? Who is it for? Well, let let me make a comment. Uh, Also, it's really a a segue comment, I think, because it relates to both the sign and the exterior um, look for the facility. But, you know, like here here, here in Avery County, especially, you know, church church budgets aren't huge, right? Mm -hmm. And... And I think when we think about church revitalization, especially in our context, sometimes we're guilty that like our, of our church revitalization plan being a remodel or being a new sign. And so the sign is significant. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about that. People need to know who you are and where you are. And I would even say what, what, your, what your vision or mission for the church is on your sign. But... Uh, Keep in mind that just because you could be the root purchase of your sign doesn't mean that you're well on your way to get your body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, we're keeping it shallow this morning. I said that earlier. No, my bad. <laughs> you know, you were talking usually, about... <laughs> usually I thrive in shallow. Oh, okay. But, there you uh, go. You talk about just limited budgets and revitalization. That's And I think it's so true. And But, you know, facilities are always... If you're going to a revitalization effort, you're not walking into pristine facilities. Not usually. You've and got so deferred maintenance. You've got tons of deferred maintenance. And so I think part of it is, is not thinking, is thinking, how can we do this and do this well? And sometimes, um, 
you know, this, the help that I have had is, is really letting people in the church take ownership of it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, knowing that, you know, a, a, a coat or two of paint may not cost a ton of money, but it can go a long way with making the, the church look, look better, at least more presentable. Uh, just like even parking lot wise, I'm not talking mm-hmm. brand new asphalt, but you know, just even even going through mm-hmm. and 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 spraying the you know the tar on there to resurface it and just striping it, just new stripes. You know, mm-hmm. that that can be relatively cheap if you do it yourself, but it goes a long yeah. way. And so, but it's it's like with a lot of things, like evangelism or discipleship, people have to take ownership of that. That's right. So let's talk about signage now. Signage, yeah. Sorry. Or or getting into signage now and. Um, who did we answer the question of who signage is for you? I don't we think we did. did not. So who is, we're leaving the mystery in the air for everyone listening. Who is, who is church signage really for? It's for the pastor because he's getting lost, right? That's no, right. Sure. It's for us. Uh, no, I'm joking. Visitors. That's right. Yeah. Uh, new folks. Yeah. Right? And uh, we we recently added some signage here at Grace, and we did it even in the parking lot. You know, we did parking spaces, and we have arrows pointing people because. There is a, it's a little confusing. We have two sanctuaries, and so we have two different services, we have contemporary and traditional. And we, we designed it so that you can flip them around and kind of direct people to which end of the building they need to go to. I had church members come in, Pastor, are we doing some kind of work? Are we supposed to park just on one side? And, you know, then I was like, guys, it's just for visitors. Yeah. You don't, you mm-hmm. can just do your normal routine. You don't have to worry about those, you know. So, well, you know, I think. Doing that, we, we've had this conversation about putting new signage and outside. You know, there's there's some old signage that we're looking at getting rid of and, and looking at some new stuff. And but the intention is, is you know, even people ask, well, do we really need that if we've got people that are welcoming and guests? And the answer is yes. You know, you need signage because the second you walk away from a, a greeter who's not there, you're trying to figure out where things are going. But it also, I think, it says something about the church. Um, it says that we're we're expecting visitors, we're expecting guests, right? Um, and I think a lot of churches, I think the reason they don't have any signs or even think about it is because, quite honestly, they're not expecting anybody, right? And, uh, and I think there's a sense of expectations that you've got a set of that, that we expect uh, guests and visitors, whether that's members inviting or people just in the community coming and checking things out. All right, that's good. Uh, Brent, I want you to take this next one here. Um, let's talk about, I'm going to shift this with internal signage. What's important for internal signage in a building? What are we, what are we after? What, what do you think is, is good signage or bad signage? I guess maybe lack of signage would be bad signage, right? But. Yeah. I, you know, for us, for us at Minneapolis, it's, well, I really feel like we're in a unique situation because we're not a large church at all, but we've got a large facilities. Yes, um, you do. And, and we've got three We've got we've got three facilities, and so um, especially for our candlestick building, if you just say, "Yeah, it's over in the candlestick," yeah, that doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Um, so, I, you know, I think I think that having like clear identification for for rooms is obviously important. Uh, possibly even even just a simple map um, and entryways into the building is good. I don't know. Do you? This is a good time to talk about. Signage that may or may not honor people in the church. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and tee that up, knock it out of the park. Okay. Here. All right, because uh, because I think that 
Well, there's and there's there's another there's another piece of science that I think is not helpful either. You know, and it is really prevalent in our in our area. But uh, we we like to honor people in our churches, and uh, and we like to buy plaques and put windows in memory of people. And listen, it's it's I understand the sentiment behind it. I understand that people want to want to honor those who have served the church faithfully, or uh, in many cases, given a lot of money to the church. But this is also one of the things that the Malfors Group helped us identify. When a visitor walks into your church and sees a, a plaque or a picture hanging on the wall of someone else and says in honor of so-and-so or in memory of so-and-so, then one of the first things they're going to think is there are some people that are more important than other people Ooh. in this church. Mm-hmm. And that is not a good message to be sending. But before I hand it off to someone, the other, uh, the other signs that is really not helpful, and this is one that Mark Flickson talks about a lot, is whenever you have signs hanging up that says, you know, no cell phones, no cell phones is a really bad one now. Um, because, you know, it's like Mark Clifton says, I've never seen a cell phone walk into a church that's not attached to a person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. you're, you're, in this day and time, you're you're more or less telling telling the person with the cell phone that you're not welcome. But also, there's there's no food, you know, the no food and drink sign. Um, again, I understand people want to take care of the sanctuary. You know, they want to be good stewards of the facility that they have uh, that they have been given. But uh, but is it is it really worth turning away a 28 uh, year old who thrives when he or she drinks her coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, then walking in with their cup of coffee, and the first thing they see is, oh, I can't bring my coffee in here. So this is this is uncomfortable for me, and I do not feel welcome. So you just have to be careful with this. Yeah, usually coffee cups don't attend services without hands and people attached yeah. to them. So Generally right. speaking, they yeah. have individuals. You know, you're talking about uh, plaques and how it shows that some people uh, uh, matter more than others. One of the things I've, I've heard from guests is that uh, in a previous church I served at, that when they saw the plaques on everything, windows, pews, uh, even Bibles and hymnals sitting in there in different classrooms, it, it gave the, the feeling that it was more of a, a mausoleum or a museum than it was like a, a gathering of, of brothers and sisters in Christ to worship the living Christ. It gave this impression almost of, of death as opposed to uh, of, of the living God. And I think all of us... I don't know about you. I'm, I'm fortunate the church that I'm, I'm, I'm serving at right now at Calvary. We, we don't have any of that stuff. And I'm very thankful for some, some older members 20, 30, 40 years ago that were very clear not to do that. And so very thankful for those people because I, I served at a church. We were doing updates, and uh, the carpet in this one particular area of the church had been there for, for 40 years. And it was one of the few things that didn't have a plaque on it. <laughs> And so we replaced it because it needed, I mean, it was, it was horrible. And we had somebody get frustrated and mad, and they said that they had donated in memory of, uh, of uh, some family member. And one of the deacons jokingly said, well, we never saw a plaque. And they said, well, well how do we put a plaque on the carpet like everything else? And so it, it was part of the mindset. Anything, you, you know, put a plaque on everything. And, uh, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, for any pastor that's listening to this, I, I would say that this this is really important. I mean, this, this is you know this is it's it's something that you should address, but 
uh, I understand it's also something that's difficult to address if you already have those things hanging up in your church. And for us, when we remodeled, we removed those things. And, yeah. Um, we haven't had any issues yet. Hopefully, I won't have a member that listens to this and realizes, oh yeah, we did remove <laughs> those things. <laughs> but uh, but my plan all along, you know, if you're someone that's saying, hey, okay, I, I can see that, I can see how this would be an issue. With these things need to be removed. I mean, this is this building is meant to bring glory to God. It's not it's not a trophy case to showcase all of our past members or uh, whoever. But uh, my plan had always been, if it became an issue, to, to more or less create a trophy case in, in an area of the church that is not going to be frequented by newcomers, if that makes sense. Well, an area that's easy to access for, uh, for, for the people who have been around. You know, they can go back and look at you put pictures or whatever in there um, of people, and you can go back and it can sort of be memory lane. But at the same time, it's not. Uh, when you walk in the door, there's a plaque hanging over over the head that says this sanctuary is in honor of so and so. You know. Yeah. Well, we're we're running out of time here uh, on this episode. These are good thoughts. I have heard of churches that have made like a uh, like a heritage room, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. you know a room that people can go into, and, and they've even incorporated that in new members classes just to point out to how God has been faithful in the past and try to make it more about that and less about look what these people did. But before we wrap up, I do think it's helpful because all that we've talked about here, um, from parking to interactions with people to signage, all this different stuff, they're all behavior outside, you know, the shallow things. The shallow things. But I think it's helpful to get a uh, a perspective, right, Uh, from somebody from the outside. I know, I don't know what you brothers, but when I when I first came to the church I served at. That was one of the first things I noticed. I, I even got to the point where I jotted everything down, wrote it down, just different things I noticed about the facilities because I knew in time wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't see them. And at the same time, when we have family or friends that come and visit with us and, and, and come to, you know, they gather at church on Sunday, a lot of times I'll ask them, um, not how was the sermon or, or anything like that, but my, my question is, that's your first time there, you know, what was it like being a first-time guest? What did you notice? What are those things that would help other other guests? Because I think it's we we get in such you know a, a familiar zone of seeing what the the facilities look like or the way people interact that we we fail to realize that that it could be better, right? So, <laughs> um, I really wanted to get into clothing and friendliness of a church, <laughs> but we kind of ran out of time. Uh, so here's. I'm just going to. Are you going to give us the dress code, the official dress yeah, code? Yeah. So you know, here's the deal on dress. You know, you can't expect goats to act like sheep when it comes to dress, right? People that are not near the Lord are not going to dress modestly. Uh, in addition to that, sometimes sheep dress like goats. That does happen on occasion, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, modesty is an important thing. Uh, but we shouldn't let clothing be a hindrance from people being in a position to hear God's word. We really should not let that do that. And then on friendliness, I think every church thinks they're friendly. (laughs) To themselves, yes. I really do. I think, you know, the people that are there think we're a very friendly church. But here's the deal. You're probably friendly to one another. What's the perspective of somebody who walks in that doesn't know anyone? Yeah. Are you friendly to that person? And you may need help getting that perspective uh, you know, and we'll we'll probably talk more about that in the next episode. But we're going to go ahead and conclude this one. Any closing thoughts, Brent? Before we go, 
He's good. No, I don't. All right. Join us again next time as we take a, another look here at the culture apple and we dive a little deeper into the flesh of it, looking at values. Uh, thanks for joining us. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.